okay, I want y'all, if they're appropriate for mixed crowds, um, throw out, if you remember anybody's nicknames from high school that had to do with like something that happened to them or something that they did. Dealer. Okay. What about other people's nicknames? Diesel. Diesel? Caveman. Caveman? That's awesome. Are there any ladies that have nicknames or friends? You say Allie? What? Pirate? That's awesome. Um, okay. I'm going to let y'all think about that a little more. But there's a guy that I went to high school with, and uh, his nickname, it got shortened to Pigeon, but it was Pigeon Face. Because this guy came from another school and uh, just really thought he was like, we went to like this little private high school that like nothing dangerous ever happened. But he, it was like he thought he was coming into like a really dangerous school and just had to be hard. It was like he was coming into the prison yard. So like every time that somebody like even remotely crossed him, he would just bow up <laughs> and act like really tough. And there was, uh, finally he was literally standing like three inches from somebody and they were just not intimidated at all. And they're like, bro, you look like a pigeon right now. And like all the people standing around were like, pigeon face. So like for the rest of high school, he was pigeon face, but then, which is unfortunate, but then he became beloved and he became engrafted into the, the group of friends. And then it was just like this endearing pigeon face. Um, but you know, he needs a new identity, right? See where I'm going with this? Um, <laughs> we need a new identity. Um, and where we're going tonight is uh, this passage of scripture where we're talking about Names. We're looking at the life of Jacob, and um, names in this culture uh, had much deeper significance than our names do. Although I do like to remind Leah a lot that Matthew means gift from God. She doesn't always feel the gift that it is, but here I am. Um, but yeah, these these names were really significant, and they were kind of they were either marking someone by like what they did or what they were known by, and these names would really sometimes even like determine the, the outflow of their life. Um, and so Jacob, um, his name means deceiver or cheater. And he got that name when he was born because he was born a twin with Esau and he was grabbing the heel of Esau as Esau came out of the womb first. Um, but then, you know, as his story unfolds, he, he lived into that name of being a deceiver or cheater. So, um, we're, this is week two of a, a series that we're doing called um, Orienting Questions, God's Orienting Questions. And the idea is that um, in Scripture, God actually asks questions of people, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because these questions are orienting questions for the people that, that get asked these questions by him. Where are you? And where are you going? So last week, we looked in Genesis 3 at literally that was the question, where are you? But all of these questions sort of have a, an element of that. Where are you? And, and what are you aiming for? Where is life going for you? And, and it's a, a good gift from the Lord to ask these questions to, to help get us on track. And so tonight, we are, um, like I said, looking at the life of Jacob and this question, what is your name? 
Um, and especially in this case, uh, what is your name is synonymous with what is your identity? What, is, what does your identity come from? And so, as I said, Jacob means deceiver, it means cheater. So implied in this identity is I am less than. Um, I don't have what it takes within myself to be what I need to be for you or to be what I need to be for me or to be what I need to get what I want. And so I have to cheat, I have to deceive, I have to be somebody or something I'm not because who I really am is not enough. And maybe some of y'all are already feeling connected to this. Um, so I, you know, this is another, like these are two of my favorite, the story of Jacob's life and Genesis 3 are like two of my favorite passages in scripture. So I also wanna come back and do uh, a series on the life of Jacob. But just for tonight, we're gonna get a little background so that we can really appreciate the, our, our text in this passage. Um, but Jacob's father did not choose him. It said his father is Isaac and his older brother is Esau. And it said that Isaac loved Esau. It didn't say Isaac loved Esau and Jacob. Um, Isaac loved Esau. And his mother, Jacob's mother, literally helps disguise Jacob as Esau. He puts on clothes. He, he puts on goat skin. Uh, we've all done that, right? And he goes to deceive his father. And when his, his father literally asks him, who are you? And he's standing there saying, I am Esau, your beloved son. Think about how painful that would be. I am Esau, your beloved son. Please bless me. And so we've, we've probably all experienced this in some form or fashion. Um, I'm, maybe, maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not successful enough. Maybe I'm not beautiful enough. Maybe I'm not masculine enough. Uh, I, I know a couple specific stories came to mind this week of just like this sort of family dynamics to receive a blessing. There's a guy I, I was, uh, was a part of my church in Knoxville, and um, he grew up in this hyper-masculine, really toxic masculine home where there was just pornography everywhere, just laying out on tables. And that's just what, if you're a man, uh, you look at it all the time and you talk about women in front of your wife. Um, because that's what it is to be a man. And so he told me through tears how he developed this deep addiction to pornography because it was just pushed upon him from an early age to get approval from his dad and from all the men in his family. I went to high school with a girl whose uh, parents were wild and uh, she was always having to be not just pretty enough but desirable by boys her age. So I mean, her, her dad and mom were basically pushing her toward these really unhealthy relationships because that's what it means to get the blessing in their family is if you're a woman, you have to be beautiful and desirable. Um, I, I was a Young Life leader for another kid who um, his dad was super successful in, in one area and uh, it was always, it was never good enough. It was always like, dad, dad, look at what I did because he was very clear on like where the value comes from and where the blessing comes from. I need to achieve, achieve, achieve. Dad's always like, yeah, that's okay, but... Um, Maybe next time you could do more. Um, and so it's like, you know, all of us have these different stories, but I, I think there's probably a way, we don't have to dig too far to really feel I identify with this, um, with this man here. And so in his case, deception and living out of this false self uh, was all that he knew. That's what had been modeled. I mean, if we had time, we'd go through his whole story. But like, that's, what, that's how his parents lived. That's what was being celebrated. That's what was being modeled. Um, that's what was being taught, and they were actively encouraging him in this way. And so um, 
He deceives his father to cheat his brother, and so now he has to run away from home because his brother wants to kill him. And so this is how he goes out into the world from his family, uh, going to stay with his uncle, Laban, uh, to hopefully get a wife and start a career. And so he goes, um, and as he's going to Laban in this other place, God meets him on the road and makes great promises to him to bless him. And uh, Jacob, his response is essentially, yeah, we'll see about that. Like, if you make good on all these promises, then you'll be my God. And you know what I think was wrapped up in that? Uh, One is I've spent my whole life learning not to trust anyone, even members of my immediate family, because they will do anything. They will put anything over on anyone, no matter what the cost is to the other person, to get what they want. And so I'm not so sure I'm ready to trust you. And two, maybe it was I don't really know that I want to have anything to do with the God of my father when my father treated me like that. And so he gets to Laban, and Laban um, is wealthy and has a beautiful daughter that Jacob's already got his eye on, Rachel, and Laban welcomes him in. We're so glad to see you. Come, come be a part of all this. You can work for me. You can marry my daughter. And if you know the story, he tricks Jacob to working seven years to marry Rachel. No, to marry Leah. You got to work seven more years to marry Rachel now. And it says he changed his wages 10 times while he was working for him. So for 20 years, he was getting hosed and cheated by his father-in-law and employer. Um, <laughs> so um, things are, are hard for Jacob. And he's stuck in this place where he's got to find his identity in himself, who he is, what he accomplishes. Um, and he's having to fight for everything. Um, and so now I'm going to ask uh, Alicia to come up and read the passage. Tonight's passage comes from Genesis 31-3, 32, 1-13, and 22-31. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanam. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and of all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. The same night he arose and took his two wives, 
his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them, and he sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Alicia. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we just, uh, we ask you to give us your, your eyes, your ears, your mind, your heart to see, um, to track with you and to see what you have for us here, um, that we would be changed, that we would be made whole, that we would be made new, that we would be set free. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, so picking up now in our passage, um, God tells Jacob, hey, return to the land of your fathers, and I will be with you. And, um, and Jacob is not really trusting God's promises, and things have gotten so bad with Laban that he's actually fearing for his life. And so um, he tries to take all of his family and all of his flocks and flee while Laban is gone and gets like a three days head start, but then um, God doesn't allow that. Um, and God allows Laban to catch up with him and, and Jacob has to face up with him and, and stop running and hiding and deceiving. And so now after he faces up with Laban and God spares him from Laban's wrath, um, now he has to turn and face his greatest fear, which is his brother who he thinks uh, will surely kill him. And so in uh, verse 1 of chapter 32, God allows Jacob to see angels. Um, he allows him to see this this. Um, heavenly army that is camping with Jacob and his family and his people. I mean, I just like imagine that like you see all your people in tents and then and on the outside of them, maybe you just see like more tents and, and all these powerful angelic beings. And God is essentially saying with that, like, please look and see that I'm telling you the truth. I've promised to be with you. I've promised that no harm will come to you. And you are, you are not alone. You are surrounded by angelic armies. And so even in that, um, there's something that's, that's even, even though Jacob can see that, there's something that is preventing him from really accessing the power of those promises and even the vision that God's given him. And so Jacob sends messengers ahead to Esau and try to work things out in his own power. He's, he says, please um, go and tell him that I've got all this stuff, man. Like, I'm killing it. 
and I'm going to share all this stuff. I'm going to give all these gifts to you, basically, like, if you just don't kill me. And so he sends these messengers out. The messengers come back. They say, hey, um, we've given the message, and Esau is headed towards you with 400 men. And that's all that they know. They don't know what his intentions are. And so Jacob is left to assume that he's coming with 400 men to overpower him and take his life. And it says that Jacob is greatly afraid and distressed. And he calls out to God, but listen to how he calls to God. He, and this is how he's referred to God the whole time, from the time that God first appears to him until now. Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. He never says my God. He always says, um, it's always this arm's length. Okay, you've revealed yourself to me. You're the God that my family's talked about. You're the God that I've heard about from these other people. So you're that God. And so I'm going to come to this God and, and talk to you. Um, but, it, but it's not my God. He still, he recognizes his sin. He says, I'm not worthy of you. And he also recognizes God's kindness to him. Like, you've been faithful to me. Like, I, I came, I went this direction with just a staff in my hand, and I'm coming back this direction with wives and children and servants and all these flocks, and uh, you have blessed me. And so even in all of that, um, and he even asks what he desires, like, hey, please save me from the hand of my brother. And even in all of that, um, there's still this arm's length, there's still this distance with God. And so I want to just pause and ask, like, is that something that resonates with you? You know, are you somebody that has been around this, uh, this whole thing, like Scripture and the people of God and, and spent time in church and spent time in groups, but like when other people talk about the way that they speak to God and God speaks to them, you're just like, yeah, I don't know about that. And you hear other people tell stories about how they really listen and are able to trust God and, and let God really direct their life, you're like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't really know about that either. Um, there's just this, yeah, I, like I'm, I think that he is real. I, I don't necessarily think that he's lying when he tells us who he is in scripture, but like I also, we're just, we, we don't have this. We're not, we're not tight yet. Um, and, it, and it feels like all these promises that God makes to his people are just kind of like unable to be accessed by you. Um, and, and what God is doing is he is driving Jacob to this, this deep need. Jacob has been identified. He's been named and had an identity based on himself. Who he is, who he think, what he thinks about himself, what other people think about him. And God is, is moving him. This more, th more than it's a move back toward his homeland and more than it's a move back toward an encounter with Esau, this is a move into a deeper intimacy with God for Jacob to receive the identity um, that he so desperately craves, but also so desperately needs. And so God is just priming the pump and leading him to this place. And so um, now we get down to like the meat of our passage, starting in verse 22. God orchestrates Jacob being alone at night for this encounter with him that he needs to have. He needs to be alone with God. He needs to encounter God in this very personal, intimate way. And um, if you're being honest and you're paying attention to this passage, verse 24 is so strange. Because the narrator shares it just like, we, like, yeah, that's what happens. Like, and Jacob was left alone. No one was around. And then a man just wrestled with him until the breaking of day. 
So all of a sudden, like, Ric Flair comes out of the woods. It's like, nature boy, woo! Just dropping elbows on him. And all of a sudden, he's just wrestling. He's like, oh, yeah, that's normal. Like, I'm here in my sleeping bag. And then now I'm just wrestling this dude that came out of nowhere. And we're going to wrestle until sunup. That's, that's what happens sometimes on this road. Um, like, what? You know, what is happening? Um, there's this, this dude just comes out of nowhere. Um, and there's no really other explanation. But it's because, um, as, as the writer tells us, as the story unfolds, um, this is not Ric Flair. Um, this is God. This is, this is actually a pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, this is the angel of the Lord, the second member of the Trinity. This is Jesus Christ who has come to wrestle with Jacob in the wilderness, to physically wrestle with this man in the wilderness. And so I want to stop and just ask this question. Why in the world is this necessary? Think about God's power. Think about God's promises. God said, hey, I will be with you. I will never leave you. Um, I will bless you. I'm going with you as you go to face Esau, the greatest fear in your life. God just showed him all these angel armies encamping all around him. God could have done anything different. Why was it necessary for him to physically wrestle with Jacob like this? And here's the answer. Because he has been at arm's length from God his whole life, and God loves him too much to let him stay there. He needed to come and, and literally feel the grip of God on his life. And as you watch this wrestling match unfold, um, you know, just, just think about it like this. A couple different angles. One is, if you've ever been in a physical altercation, there's, there's no, like, hiding or playing cool or hanging back. Like, you are fully engaged in the moment. You are fully engaged in the present. All emotions, everything is out on the table. Um, and the Lord is saying, I need that from you. You, you. You've been hanging back. I can't tell you, I mean, this is true of my life too, but I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people where they're like talking about situations in their life and this has been really hard and this has been really disappointing and, and I don't know where God is in this. And just ask, like, have you ever brought all of this anger and disappointment and sadness to him? I yeah, I don't know. I've never really thought about doing that. And the Lord's like, yeah, well, guess what? I came to pick a fight because you've got to do that. You've got to do that. You've got to fully engage with him in the present, all of your senses, all of your feelings, all of your real self, all of your real emotions, everything. And at the end of the day, when you are frustrated with somebody or you've been hurt by somebody no matter what's happened with other people in your life, underneath all of that, if you believe in God and believe that he is real and believe that he has a personal relationship with you, that anger must go to him. Because no matter what these people did to hurt me, you let it happen. If you are the God of the universe and you speak to your people and you're involved in your people's lives, you let this happen. And so if you have never faced up with God, um, let this be an encouragement to you. As, as you hear this story unfold, know that, that you have the same invitation and he is calling you uh, really to a fight. Um, but it's not like any kind of fight you've ever been in before. 
there's another angle about this of, of why we're wrestling. And it's, um, I remember doing this with my grandfather as a little boy and, and now doing this with my sons, like little boys and little girls just wrestle with their dad. They wrestle with the strong male figure in their life. Why? Um, because it builds trust, because it builds intimacy, because it builds resilience and strength. There's something really important. I mean, you can read um, just secular articles on child development and see that like that's people who don't give a rip about what we're talking about here will say that, yeah, that's really important for there to be a strong masculine figure and him to be physical um, in a loving way with his children. And so we, we, we get both these angles here. Um, God is wanting Jacob, he is forcing him into bringing his full self to him and being honest, fully honest with God for the first time. And he is forming a new attachment with him. He is deepening an intimacy with him. He is, he is cultivating an intimacy. He's cultivating a strength. And he's cultivating trust. And so you look at verse 25. They are wrestling all night long. <laughs> which I, I would just love to know like what that was actually like to like watch that. But all of a sudden, uh, this, this figure just touches his hip and dislocates his hip with a touch. And if you know anything about a dislocated hip, not only is it excruciating pain, but it is like that whole leg is useless now. It doesn't work. And so in this moment, um, this Jesus touches his hip like, hey, I've been wrestling with you all night, but now it's time to get serious, and let me show you what kind of power I have. Boom. And then he says, let me go because day is breaking. And that's actually a great mercy to Jacob because the Old Testament's really clear. Nobody in our sinful state, nobody sees God face to face and lives. When we, if we were to see God in his holiness, we would be totally destroyed. And so this is Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, who's saying, uh, hey, it's about to be sun up, and I don't want anything bad to happen to you. You need to let me go. And then Jacob, who's, who's leaning on the love of Jesus, the fact that you've had this power the whole time, but you've engaged with me for an entire night. You've wrestled with me like a father wrestles with his child. You could have overpowered me like that at the beginning, but you didn't. And so I'm actually gonna cling to that part of what I know about you now. And I'm gonna literally cling to you. And so you get this really poignant moment where um, you just see his hunger and his desperation. And it says, and Hosea 12 talks about this, and it says all this happened in Jacob with tears. And it's just this really poignant moment where all of Jacob's disappointment in life, all of his hurt of not being chosen, all of his having to be somebody else to get the blessing, um, everything that's gone with his father, all these male figures in his life, his father, his father-in-law, um, the people who were supposed to look out for him and bless him didn't. And so now Jacob is clinging to him and saying, I will not let you go until you bless me because I have finally found the one whose blessing I've been craving this whole time. The only one whose blessing actually matters or can change my life or can account for anything. The blessing that I was so desperate for through thinking that I was desperate for the blessing from my earthly father and from my father-in-law, 
It's actually you. And now that I'm with you, now that I'm face to face with the one who can give me this blessing, I am not letting you go. I don't care if I die because I have nothing else. And so you can see how the Lord has blessed and used all of the pain, all of the disappointment, all of the hard road that Jacob has traveled. He had to have that to drive him to this point where he would really face up and be hungry and desperate enough to bring his full self to the God of the universe. And he is just clinging to him. I'm so tired, I'm so afraid, I've been through so much, I have nowhere else to go. And it's just pitiful because there's just this leg just laying limp, like what's he gonna do? He can't wrestle anymore. And it all just finally comes pouring out. I've been trying to be somebody else. I've been trying to live out of this identity rooted in who I am and who I think I am and what other people think of me my whole life. And this is where it's gotten me. So side note, we've been talking about blessing a lot. What is blessing? Well, uh, for our purposes here, we can say that blessing is, um, it's wholeness. It's everything you want. It's abundant life. It's everything you were created to want. And it's what he is longing for. It's what we are longing for. When I go put on my false self, when I go dress up like somebody else and tell the world that I'm somebody else and say, please bless me, um, that's, what, that's what we're doing. When we do that at work, when we do that in relationships, uh, when we do that in our own families, with our own dads. And so Jacob has lived his whole life looking for the blessing um, and trying to get it for himself, trying to deceive, trying to cheat, trying to do whatever is necessary, manipulate to give himself the blessing. And guess what? It doesn't work like that. Um, the blessing that he is craving so desperately, the blessing that he actually needs, he's not just hungry for it, he needs this blessing. Um, the blessing that we are so hungry for and that we need desperately, um, we cannot go get for ourselves. It has to be given to us as a gift from God. That's the only way to get it. And a blessing has to be given as a gift from God because it requires a new identity. And I can't give myself a new identity no matter how hard I try, and it requires a new name. And the only people, especially back then, who can name are a father at birth and a king with his subjects. And so he has come to the father, he has come to the king, and now this king, in verse 27, says, what is your name? What is the identity you've been living out of all this time? And think about just the, the loaded word when Jacob says Jacob, deceiver, uh, somebody who's not been enough. That's who I am. And he says, well, guess what? Um, that's not your name anymore. I'm giving you a new name, and it's Israel, which means God strives. It means that God fights or God contends with those he loves and for those he loves. Think about God striving uh, to defeat evil, to take our sin and, and separate it from us so that we could have fellowship with him. And think about the way that he strives with us as he strives with Jacob is, I'm, I'm not just interested in having you on the team or in the family. 
you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. I will know you. I will have an intimate relationship with you no matter how terrified you are of that because you've got to come in close. I've got to pull you in close and you've got to experience the love and the power and the gentleness and the grace and all of it wrapped up together in who I am. I am the holy God of the universe, but I am also your father who loves you. And it, and it says in scripture that um, Jesus, uh, he cares for us like a mother hen with her chicks under her wing. He is so gentle but he's also so holy. And it's all of this together, and we've never known anyone like that. And he says, um, this is your new name because you fought with man and prevailed. What does that mean? It means that I've led you to where you're no longer running, you're facing up. You're being who you are, you're living honestly. You've striven or fought with God and prevailed. You've engaged with me. You've taken hold of my promises by taking hold of me and, and coming into that intimacy. And so now, did you catch that his, his new name is God Strives? The new identity that we need has nothing to do with who we are or what we do. The new identity that we need that comes from God is God's identity. Is here's, here's who I am, it's what God does. I am a child of God because he fought for me and he made me his son. Because he went to the cross for me. That's who I am. My identity is not anymore, well, I'm actually pretty good at this and, and I'm this or I'm that and people say this of me. It's, no, no, no. My identity is I'm his and look at who he is. And that's really freeing. Um, listen to this from Revelation 2.17. This is Jesus talking to the one who conquers, I will give uh, some of the hidden manna. We'll not talk about that tonight. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. It's this picture of this intimate connection. I'm actually going to give you your name. And, and it's you and I are only the ones who are going to know that. And then in Revelation 3.12, uh, similarly, Jesus says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he leave it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. See, you are gonna be united with him in such a way that the new name he gives you is also gonna be his name. That is how intimately um, he is pulling us in to this relationship. And so we see in verse 31, um, Jacob leaves this place limping. And it's, it's a gift. Because you think about having an experience like that where some dude just comes out of nowhere and wrestles you in the middle of the night, it'd be easy later on with some space to think, like, was that a dream? But now for the rest of his life, he's got this limp. Like, no, 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 that really happened. Like, the God of the universe really engaged me in this way, and it actually doesn't bother me that I have this limp now because I don't need to rely on my own power. Because I have a father, I have a king, and I'm surrounded by angelic armies. Anything that I need, he will give me because he is my father, and he is my king, and he is good. And that's, you know, if, if you've ever... Um, if you've walked through this life long enough, you know that this is a beautiful place, this world, but it's also a broken place. Um, and there's a lot of pain that we're gonna encounter 
until Jesus returns. And, and walking through that pain, Jesus is leading us through that pain to get us to the moment that we need so desperately, which is to stop playing games and to get really hungry and really desperate for him and then to run to him because we have nowhere else to go. And then finally then, we can see what he's really like. We can see how he really engages us. Um, And so no matter what scars and wounds I'm wearing from the 39 years that I've walked this earth, it's all worth it because it's driven me to this relationship, this new identity, this new name that I was made for. And what's so beautiful and so easy to miss, we didn't, this is not in our text, but the next chapter, chapter 33, verse 20, after Jacob goes and the Lord does protect him when he encounters Esau, um, he names this place where he is. Uh, Let's see what this says. He built an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which means um, God, the God of Israel. So now finally, he's my God. And I'm in this intimate friendship with him. Um, And so I'm going to leave us with this. Whatever you're experiencing, whatever pain you're trying to bury and stop thinking about, whatever disappointments and frustrations and um, that you've had with with God and with your life so far, um, what he's saying here, when he asks, what is your name? Is, is he is using that pain to call you in, or maybe more accurately, uh, to ask you like this, and just to keep pushing on you, and pushing on you until you push back. And then you're gonna get in a fight, and it's gonna change everything. And so if you've got that stuff in there, and you've never had that encounter with God before, um, don't spend any more time burying it. If you wanna talk to me or somebody else about what does that look like to actually like fight with God (laughs) with this stuff, and maybe that's a terrifying thought to you. Um, I'm glad to talk with you about that. Um, But that's something that needs to happen because you need that new identity and you need to know your father like that and you need to know your savior like that, and he's waiting. Father, um, Lord, don't don't let us go. Um, Don't let us be okay apart from you. Would you keep turning up the volume, keep turning up the heat, keep pushing, keep picking a fight until we turn around and throw a punch? Lord, would you just call us in to engage with you and experience how gentle and holy and loving and powerful and kind and strong you are and um, the identity that you want to give us in your son, Jesus. And we ask that in his name. Amen.